You're listening to Works of Justice, a podcast by PEN America. Hi, this is Robbie Pollock, PEN America's Prison and Justice Writing Program Manager. Today's podcast is a rebroadcast of the April 14th episode of Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Sites Searchlight Series. It's hosted by Sean Kelly, and it features our program director, Kate Meisner, and the incredible poet, Justin Monson, who is also an inaugural PEN America Writing for Justice fellow. Special thanks to the team at Eastern State for allowing us to share this with you and for all the people sharing the words of writers on the inside. Please also check out the other podcasts from PEN America, the Daily PEN Pod and the Emerging Voices Podcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter at pen.org slash works of justice. We are grateful to all of you for listening. Welcome to the Searchlight series at Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Site in Philadelphia. I'm Sean Kelly. Uh, I'm here live at Eastern State Penitentiary for our weekly Searchlight. We're going to start Searchlights off uh, for the foreseeable future, unfortunately. We're running through some numbers. Um, as of today, in U.S. prisons and jails, um, there are um, 3,338 3, cases confirmed infections with COVID-19. There have been 50, day, 50 deaths to date of people incarcerated in U.S. jails and prisons. There's also prison staff. Again, more than 3,000 members of the prison staff around the United States have been confirmed with the virus and 16 deaths. Um, we're gonna keep looking at these numbers at the start of every searchlight moving forward. For those of you who don't know Eastern State Penitentiary, we are a prison museum in Philadelphia. The prison was built on the belief that people are inherently good and can be rehabilitated through solitary confinement. That is, has a distinctive wagon wheel floor plan that was copied all over the world. Um, and there were about 83,000 people who were incarcerated inside this building, men, women, and yes, children as well. The prison is open today for tours. It was abandoned in 1971. Today we give um, tours when we're able, when it's safe to do so. Uh, we have artist installations like this glorious piece by uh, Jesse Crimes. This is a mural that he made while incarcerated in federal prison. This is our graph illustrating the U.S. rate of incarceration, the highest in the world by far. And our exhibit, our companion exhibit is called Prisons Today. Uh, and ask questions like, have you ever broken the law? And what is criminality? And do prisons work? And what, are we, what should we do next? Last year, we had 310,000 daytime visitors, including 28,000 school visits. Uh, we are proud second chance employers. We seek out people with the experience of incarceration to join our education team. Uh, we find it's one more tool if they choose to use it uh, that we can use that they can use to engage our visitors um, in discussions of the impact of the policies around incarceration in the United States. Our big project last year was called Hidden Lives Illuminated. We worked for over a year inside of two prisons here in the Philadelphia area, teaching animation to artists who are incarcerated. Um, this is Kwashim working on his uh, on his film, and then we projected those films onto the front wall of Eastern State Penitentiary for a month last summer. If you like what we're doing here, we encourage you to become a member. Uh, you can also support us in many ways from our website, um, which you see right there. The site is closed to the public because of the virus through at least May 31st. Uh, we have brought much of our programming online. Those Hidden Lives Illuminated films are being featured one per week, uh, with different, uh, different film focused on every week. Uh, this week it's David's film called Freedom. We have a twice weekly uh, video podcast. It's called Prisons and the Pandemic. It's a three minute episode twice a week covering what's happening in, in American prisons and jails and detention centers with this virus. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. We have what we call the hospital tour twice, uh, sorry, once a week, Wednesdays at 2.30 live. Um, Matt Murphy from our team talks about issues of health, both historically and currently in prisons. And of course we have the Searchlight series. Next week's topic is COVID-19's impact on incarcerated youth. We have Hernan Carvente Martinez from Youth First, Ritha Onatiri from New Jersey Institute of Social Justice, Vincent Schiraldi from the Columbia School of Social Work, and it's moderated by Liz Ryan. From, she's the president and CEO of the Youth First Initiative. Please join us one week from tonight for Searchlight. But tonight we have uh, Kate Meissner, um, she is a PEN America, she is the PEN American Prison and Justice Writing Program Director. Uh, welcome, Kate. We're gonna be joined in a few minutes by Justin Ravios Monson. He's a PEN America Writing for Justice Fellow. 
and he is a poet, and he'll be calling in. So, Kate, welcome to Searchlight from Eastern State Penitentiary. Thank you for having me. And I was just um, smiling to see Vinny Shiraldi uh, on your talk next week, because he'll be also interviewed in an upcoming issue of our newsletter. <laughs> he is a, a, a real thought leader in this field. Big time. Big I wish time. there were happier topics we have to talk about right now, but agreed. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, we're uh, just a few minutes. I actually did the introduction a little faster than I thought I would. In a few minutes, um, our second guest, Justin, is going to be dialing in. Kate, you want to tell us a little bit more about our guest, about Justin, and how you know him, um, and then there'll be, a, unfortunately, kind of a elaborate process of getting him online here with us. But um, tell us a little bit about how you know Justin. Sure. Uh, well, I knew of Justin's work a little bit before he became a Writing for Justice Fellow. Uh, he had won our prison writing awards, uh, an honorable mention, a, a number of years back. And so I had read this poem and thought it was quite uh, phenomenal. So it was really exciting to see his work elevated through the fellowship. And the fellowship, by the way, the prison writing awards, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about our program down the line tonight, uh, but our prison writing awards is solely for currently incarcerated writers and the Writing for Justice Fellowship is a very prestigious opportunity. 800 people apply to it across the U.S. It is an ecosystem of writers confronting mass incarceration through various mediums. And um, it's not just people with justice involvement. Certainly, we have currently and formerly incarcerated. We have two uh, currently incarcerated fellows in each round. Justin was part of our inaugural class last year, cohort. Um, but But... We have people representing all different interests in the field. So um, through that, Justin won, obviously, the fellowship. And, and because he's able to be in communication more than some other folks because of JPay, the communication system, which we'll also talk about a little bit down the line, um, I found that I was able to communicate with him almost as easily as somebody on the outside. Not quite. That's not always the case. It's rarely the case, in fact. So through that, and because I'm also a poet in my other life, and Justin's a poet, and we share a lot of the same influences of who we're reading, who we're looking at, who we're interested in, uh, we really developed also sort of a friendship through the work in, in, a, in a shared aesthetic. So it's really a pleasure to get to feature him and bring him on today and, and hear his thoughts. I think that he will offer a lot of insight uh, around a variety of topics for people who are tuning in tonight. More about uh, communicating with people who are incarcerated as you do this work. It's a challenge that we have as well in our work, and I'm, I'm sure you face it at least as much as we do, that you, know, you want to partner with people and, and bring their voices into the projects. Uh, and the communication is often, um, well, we'll hear it here in a moment, even when in a good situation, I say relatively good, like Justin's, where the three of us spoke yesterday, we're going to speak here again in a moment. Um, even then, it's such there's so many barriers and the, the communication ends up being so challenging. Can you say more about working with creative people on these projects? Yeah, and I, I think it's part of what our dialogue will be later, but certainly, you know, I mean, in a kind of lucky way or a decision we made is that we don't work with, we don't actually do classes on the inside. We're a national programming. We work with individuals through the mail, snail mail, uh, and occasionally through one of these kind of pay-to-play email systems, depending on if people have access to it, depending on if they have money to put on it, et cetera. So right now it's even harder because we're doing a once a week mail pickup because of the virus at the office. Thankfully, my team member has a car. Uh, if he didn't, we would be really out of luck. And, uh, and we get you know, a stack of mail, yay high, foot high a week. Uh, and um, people are requesting all kinds of support. And so obviously when you were doing an editorial process, like our awards that I mentioned earlier, our anthology, the, the work is very, raw and unedited because we can't go through a real editorial process and the turnaround, you need a good couple months because of the snail mail pace. Um, all prison mail is reviewed as we're gonna hear tonight and I'm uh, thankful in advance to everybody who sticks around and bears with us. Justin's uh, phone calls are in 15 minute increments and they have to hang up and call back and you gotta go through a whole phone screening that we'll hear in a moment. So uh, people's, uh, people's lives and communication are 100% read uh, often censored. It's often up to the mail room whose mail gets through or not, the, per, the clerk working that day. Um, actually, I, I, I don't know if we can include this, but I, I wrote a, um, in 2018 an op-ed about it for The Guardian that details sort of what that looks like. You send us a link. We'll put that on our Facebook page along with this so that people can 
read that. Fantastic. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Um, we've uh, here in Pennsylvania. There's a the policy is that all mail going into the prison actually goes to Florida. Florida. We know that because we work with people yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, it's scanned and then the scan goes to the person in prison and they don't see the original. And if you're writing a, a, a recommendation letter, for instance, it doesn't, I guess, matter that much. But man, when you write a, a holiday card to somebody and you know what they're going to get as a scan of the card, um, it, it really, it really is, um, take something away, honestly. Do you find that, I'm not just, I'm just aware of it here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is actually Justin is calling. Let's, right. let's get him online. Maybe we can talk to him a little bit more about this as well. A prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections Saginaw facility. If you feel you're being victimized or exploited by this prisoner, please contact GTL Customer Service at 855-466-2832. To accept this call, press zero. To refuse this call, this call is from a collection facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL. Justin. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Doing well. I'm here with Kate. Hey, Justin. Hi. Are you able to hear Kate? It's kind of hard to hear you, but I'm, what's that? Yeah, I could, kind of, yeah, it's a little muffled. A little muffled. I'm going to bring you up a little closer to the screen. Um, thank you for joining us, Justin. We really, really sincerely appreciate you taking the time and, um, and making the effort to call in. Okay. I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Um, I'm going to mostly take the back seat and let you and Kate have a conversation. I'm going to be here. My role at this point is kind of holding the speaker next to the microphone. Um, and I might jump okay. in here and there, but for the most part, I'm going to step out and let you and, and Kate carry on your conversation about the work you're doing together. So, um, Kate, please take over. Right. Well, actually, the first, very first thing I wanted to do is invite you, Justin, to read the first of the, of the two pandemic poems that we published in the Temperature Check series last week. I'm going to do a screen share afterwards, after we talk a little bit, and show um, our audience uh, listening in and looking in what that looks like. But I thought it would be great to just open it with a little literature, considering uh, we're representing PEN America today, which is an organization, if folks don't know, at the intersection of uh, literature freedom of expression and human rights. So it only feels right to kick off with a poem. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Um, I will say, Sean, it is still relatively difficult for me to understand. I, I picked up what everything that was being said, but it is a little bit of a strain. I just want to let you know. Okay, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna get the volume up a little bit here. Yeah, I hope that's, a little, hope that's a little better moving forward. Okay, yeah. and. Um, if, I'm not sure if you're having a hard time understanding me. I hope not, but uh, I'm wearing a mask myself right now, so. It's very clear for me. We can, we can hear you just fine, and we're glad that you have a mask to wear. Um, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, yeah, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please, go ahead. Okay, so uh, the poem that she's talking about is titled Lockdown Language in a world that does not yet recognize the total logic of the cage. Masks are covers strangely unrecognized in the square mile of American Earth where we circle the remnants of our lives in a world we no longer know by touch. And yes, it's touching, it's true, it's real, it's needed to write poems and posts and prose to decode the lows of a lockdown. If anyone knows, well. <laughs> and yet, we are tethered to no etymology, no primary cause, no buzz, nor tag, nor trend, but the siren heard when it is time to be caged. So, no, we are not amazed by distance. We are not stirred by silence nor solitude. Huddle and holding patterns are the states we have held for longer than supplies will now last. And that is the language spoken behind the walls of this land and its everyday laws. So now, sing your song, and we will listen, just as we always have. 
Thank you, Justin. I, I want to give it a moment to sink in, but I'm also sort of aware of the time we have. Um, I was really struck by the tone of this poem when I read it and when I hear it now and, and how instructive it feels and how we think about social distancing for those of us on the outside. I've seen on social media, for example, people leveraging this moment of isolation to build empathy for people in prison. And I've also seen incarcerated people push back against what it feels like, uh, what, what can feel like a frivolous and sort of insensitive comparison. I want to hear a little bit about the motivations for this poem in the context of, of this tension that I'm talking about. Um, you know, I've actually talked to a few other people about how they feel about this, this empathy that you're talking about, you know, so I, I can kind of speak for myself and a lot of the guys that I know that I've spoken to um, and just say to everybody listening, you know, I, we, we definitely appreciate the effort and, um, you know, we're really grateful for the empathy. But I, I really just hope it's something that continues after all this madness subsides, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times, uh, particularly with issues dealing with incarceration, those things kind of come to the forefront and then they kind of recede, you know, based on other things that are happening. So I hope that is sustainable. Um, I mean, the second thing I'd like, I want to say is, that you, you know, people aren't in prison. Um, <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. want to sound harsh, but I mean, there are two very different things. Um, I think there's this false narrative about prison often that the punishment is mostly or largely about physical separation. And that's, that's more or less true. Initially that's true, but over time, particularly after years, you know, I've been in prison for like 10 years now. So it, over time, what ends up happening is what you miss is this lack of, there's a lack of ability to actually meaningful, meaningfully connect with people, you know, let alone the world. So, that's kind of interesting kind of diametric to look at it. You know, I, though I can appreciate the empathy, it is also difficult um, because that's kind of the, the status quo in here is this lack of ability to connect. Right. And some of the ways that plays out, which we were talking about before you called in, Justin, are things like, you know, I can video chat with my dad whenever I feel like. I can pick up the phone and call a friend whenever I feel like. They can call me back. If I miss a call from you, for example, in a work context, I can't call you back. I got to wait for you to call or for you to get a JPay email from me saying, hey, Mr. Cogger, is a good time to call back. So there's all this disruption um, in terms of communication that I think, I don't know that everybody is always aware of this on the outside, actually, what that isolation that then leads to disconnection also means on a very practical level. Um, so thank you for opening that space a little bit for us. And, and not to mention that we're in the comfort of our own homes, cooking our own meals, uh, et cetera, right? Say that again? Just saying we, we are in the comfort of our own homes with access to our own meals and books and private bathrooms and all kinds of things that, that don't map to prison life. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting though, because I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that my situation is worse than anybody out there, even though I mean, in, in many regards it is, but you know, I'm not really into like comparing pain. I don't really believe in that. Mm -hmm. I, for me, I'm just really trying to make sense of what's happening, you know, to my life and in, in the context of some, everything that's happening in the world. So it's kind of new, but it's also like a very old story. You know what I mean? Because I've been here for a while now. Um, something that happened actually yesterday when we were, we were doing that test call just to see how all this stuff is going to work logistically. Um, and I had mentioned to you, I said, yeah, we received two free five-minute calls and we get two free JPay stamps, um, if you recall me saying mm -hmm. that. Uh, and after I said that, there was, there, was, there was kind of some laughter, you know, going around that. But I, I sensed a little bit of, like, moral outrage, which is, you know, of course, totally understandable. But it's interesting because at that same time, I, I feel totally ambivalent about it, to be honest. I mean, at least with, with what we had discussed. And I think that's a really good example of the differences um, that we're kind of experiencing. Because, you know, being in this whole, like, prison industrial complex, it's not just an external thing. It kind of becomes a part of you. You know what I mean? So I think that once you feel that, that's when you can really know, like, what it means to be in prison and to have that kind of separation. And with the poem, I was really trying to kind of approach that ethos, like to kind of tether, uh, capture all sides of that. Because it's actually the first poem in um, like a three poem, like a cycle that I did, the pandemic cycle. And the other, one of the other ones is also on temperature check. So I, I was really just trying to capture that, that melancholy, that feeling of, 
like being in here as the world is kind of going through this turmoil, but everybody is still free by most, you know, by most standards. So I wrote from a place of exile. You know, I mean, I, this, this isn't, I mean, all of this isn't really new to us or to me or to, you know, people in here. So we've been listening. Um, we've, been, we've been trying to reach out, you know, to the world. And that's that, that last, that last line in the poem, uh, sing your song and we will listen just as we always have. I think that's, for me, that's the most important thing that I was trying to get across. And for me, what an affecting ending. Fantastically written and communicated. I think this is a good time to, to actually show our audience what this temperature check looks like. Uh, I know, Justin, you can't see, so just imagine that you're watching with us. But I'm going to share the screen here and give a little um, preview in the back end of our newsletter. So this is um, this, uh, this series we launched uh, three, which is about three weeks ago. Um, we call it a rapid response series. And the idea is that we're really drawing on two things that we, we feel we have an expertise in, which is uh, access to really incredible creative writers who we are commissioning to uh, develop what we're calling creative reportage about the pandemic's impact in prisons, and also many sort of half hour or le less in length podcast interviews with criminal justice reform experts or abolitionists uh, or reformists uh, uh, about the same topic. And that's accessing the, the network that we've built um, that, you know, as I was saying in the beginning, that obviously Sean and I are part of and share many people in. So this is what comes to people's inbox, but it also could be found online. I understand that a link will be shared or is shared. And uh, so this is what's coming tomorrow. Uh, I have a little intro from me. Yes. And then, uh, is it not showing it? Not showing. Oh, can you see it now? Okay. Yep. Oh, I thought I was showing it the whole time and it was my face. Okay. So here's the behind the scenes. Uh, and then this is a little preview of what's coming, my intro. Uh, this week we have this incredible a graphic narrative from somebody who goes by Punk Rock Spock. His real name is Jeremy Wilson writing from Attica about uh, what he's, he's calling the prison pandemic guide. So what he's seeing and, and how it's unfolded. Uh, I just, uh, you know, in the, in the world of all this news cycle, sometimes getting the information through creative means can feel just like a different way to absorb and allow for, I would say, um, levity or a difference in emotion, but there is a, just another access point for the heart, I think. Um, here's Jeremy's creative prompt. We're inviting, and we'll talk about this a little, a little bit down the line tonight, uh, creative prompt for people on the outside to engage from the, uh, from the person who's incarcerated, whose piece is featured. And then this week we have Lawrence Bartley, who's the director of the Marshall Project's News Inside, which is a free paper distributed to a number of prisons uh, with criminal justice focused reporting from the Marshall Project uh, on the podcast. I think it's a really excellent um, series. And you'll see here, uh, I, I just put the graphic in um, this morning on our Pen America's daily podcast, which is the organizational podcast. Uh, they featured myself talking and, and, and Justin reading those two poems, the two you'll hear tonight as well in addition to uh, uh, another of our writing for Justice Fellows, Beth Shelburne. And then we have an action advocacy and resource roundup and some features of people connected to our community who are doing work in this realm. Um, so if you're interested, we hope you will follow along uh, weekly and take a look at that. All right, with that said, whew. Impressive, I gotta tell you, it's so, it's really wonderful. It's um, the work and, and the fact that you were able to get the program up and running so quickly. Um, it's very impressive. Thanks, Sean. Maybe a little, you know, I don't know what the word is. Maybe not crazy, but <laughs> intense. But I, I think, you you know, the same way that you've, you've shifted the series online, that you reached out to us and others, I think that there's a feeling of, you know, who do I want to be after this moment? What did I want to do? And, and while I think a lot of people's work is to actually slow down production, when you're working with a with a field that is in hyper hyper crisis and hyper hyper vulnerable, uh, you know, a sense of purpose can can feel like an anchor. So that's a little bit about why we rushed it, I think, too, on a very transparent level. Um, so speaking of temperature check, uh, I, I'm really proud of our title because I think that it allows me to ask questions like this, which is Justin. Can you share a little bit, give us a temperature check, so to speak, about what it feels like to be in prison during the pandemic overall? What are the heightened concerns? 
what is the administration's response in the particular prison you're in, which is in Michigan, and how are people feeling around you? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess the short answer is it feels like prison. Um, but, I, don't, I mean, it's really strange, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's fear in the air. You know, where I'm at right now, the virus hasn't really hit the facility. I think they've had one case, and they kind of locked it down. They, they sent the guy somewhere else. Uh, to a place that they're, you know, you have one minute remaining. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Call us back, Justin. I'll talk about the program. Excuse me? I said, I'll talk about the program. You call us back. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. All right. So, folks, uh, while Justin's calling back, which will just take a few minutes, I'll give a very brief overview of what our program does. So, we're, uh, as I said, just a small department in the overall PEN America, which is a large organization working on a lot of different issues. And I urge you to check out what my colleagues are up to. It's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, but our program is 40 years running. It was founded on the heels of the Attica uprising, a fact that I'm very proud of, uh, seeing writing as really a legitimate form of power. So the, the offerings that have been throughout time are that I inherited a few years ago are the Handbook for Writers in Prison, which is a guide to creative writing that we send to uh, hundreds of people a month who are inside who request it through the mail. Uh, that book, by the way, I think I can announce it, uh, will be coming out, a new version of it, completely revisioned with a lot of contributions from justice-involved writers uh, in hopefully 2021, but we have a contract. So that's a major project we're working on. Uh, we have our Prison Writing Awards, where over 1,300 people a year who are incarcerated uh, apply to or send their work into, again, all through the physical mail. We have a Prison Writing Committee that judges and award cash prizes, publication, and uh, dynamic live performances across six genres of writing. And then we have a 300-person mentor program with primarily right now writers on the outside, professional writers, mentoring writers on the inside, uh, though we are trying to shift some of that dynamic to include a more uh, fluid mentor program experience where there's some mentorship flowing multiple directions. We do a million small projects in between there, but those are the pillars of the program. We also, as I mentioned, have the Writing for Justice Fellowship, which commissions uh, writers across the spectrum of both justice involvement and genre to write critical works uh, that are uh, confronting and illuminating underheard issues uh, in mass incarceration conversation. So, Huh, Justin, back to you. Are we there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm All right. Not sure. Not sure I left off. I think, yeah, I, it hasn't really hit the facility that I'm at yet. So there has been this feeling of impending, um, I wouldn't say doom or anything like that, but there has, there's been this feeling of, you know, what's going to happen when it gets here. So guys are kind of stocking up on food, you know what I mean? Stocking up on food and kind of just preparing, like, okay, are we going to get locked down? Is it going to be zero movement? Are we going to even you know, make commissary. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air right now. Um, I will say, though, I mean, I'm not really sure how it's going everywhere else in Michigan, but I, I can't really say much bad about the administration here. I mean, just in terms of, like, the, the preemptory steps that they've taken. And I'm not, like, I'm not fearing retribution or anything. I mean, I, I really honestly think that they're struggling with what they have, you know what I mean? And they're probably scared as well. So I, I kind of get it. Um, I mean, they, they gave everybody masks and it was like a whole thing, like passing everything out and they've changed a lot of the facility uh, protocol. So, I mean, for the most part, they've been doing okay here, I'd say. Um, but there is that feeling in the air of kind of like what's going to happen within the, you know, every day there's new developments and there's just new questions about what's going to happen. So, I mean, there's a lot of fear and frustration in the air, but to be honest, overall, there's this kind of, there's, air, there's an air of like ambivalence, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I think this level of abstraction with all of this that's happening, and, and I know that we'll talk about it a little bit about uh, like the news and kind of, because we're receiving all this information from the news and we've, you know, we've, we've, everybody calls home and gets information and stuff, but most guys are just really concerned about their families. So I don't, I'm not really sure. It, it all feels very surreal to me. Um, it, it's very, it, it's strange to process because we're in here and not, not a whole lot's changed. I mean, for me and a lot of other guys in here, this whole lockdown thing's kind of been like the through line or the undercurrent of you know, our lives for years. So it's, I think guys are really just trying to survive and do their time. I mean, half, half my friends are doing life or doing 20 plus years, you know, so I'm not saying guys have pre more pressing concerns than everything happening right now, but it's, it's in a very different context for a lot of different people. 
Sure. Thank you for that. And I, and I also want to welcome people who are listening to, you know, uh, stay tuned on temperature check because we get various reports from people, uh, some that are much more intense and dire, Justin, than, than, what, than what you're explaining uh, in terms of where you are currently. So, but I, I appreciate hearing that perspective as well. Um, this is a good place to shift to. I, I, I finally landed on a phrase for how I describe our work to people, which I think is, is hard to, to move towards this orientation which is that our work is connective, it is not charitable. It's a different orientation and uh, all the ways you can imagine that. And so Justin, through your being a Writing for Justice Fellow, we've had the opportunity to talk quite a bit about how we present the work and voices of people with justice involvement. There's the line we walk between the credible messenger, the absolute necessity we feel of, uh, of frontline voices being centered in the criminal justice dialogue. So people who are living the experience, being experts of their own lived experience. And also on the other side, the box and stigma that can be created for writers who really wish to be perceived as, as a member of the literary community without this uh, absolutely negative uh, qualifier of incarceration attached to it consistently and always. And that's something in our program that we're always grappling with in creating a space for prison writing, quote unquote, while also saying, how do we walk towards a future where somebody who's been in prison or, or who is, is in prison might be ever seen outside the context of this part of their life? It's not really a world I see as possible now, but one we hope to walk towards down the line. So I'm, I'm curious if you can speak to your grappling with these two conflicting truths uh, as a writer and, and person of literature. Yeah, you know, I mean, and we, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, uh, to be honest, uh, to be clear, if it wasn't for you and for everybody listening, and just you know, all of these institutions, and you know, to be honest, like the liberal mindset in America, um, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. You know, I wouldn't have any sort of platform for real. I really wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be a writer right now, or you know, we wouldn't have this conversation. There's just so many things that have hinged on, um, I, w I don't want to say the prison writer label, but there are a lot of things that have hinged on um, the desire to at least hear my voice and the voices of other people who are incarcerated. You know what I mean? So on one, I, I, you know, I have a very deep gratitude for all of the love and all of the support that people have been able to give, you know. Um, but it is a really strange and like this sort of unavoidable enigma, this whole like prison writer dilemma. Um, I think a lot about it in terms of the, like the whole double consciousness thing, the concept of double consciousness, like W.E.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois. Mm -hmm. And I can't really, I can't speak to the black or African American experience, but something about that idea, it, it really resonates with me. Um, particularly the question of you know, how, how does it feel to be a problem? Because at this point, I think that's like a major theme of my work and all of the things that I've been trying to do. Um, so internally, I think it's a very personal battle that sort of gets to the heart of what it means to really write or to create anything in the first place, which is, you know, who am I and who do I want to be? Um, but from the outside, externally, it, it's really, it's honestly, it's honestly a question of marketing. I mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but it's mm -hmm. a manifest thing. On one hand, I, I really dislike, I hate being called a prison writer. I, mean, I, want, I want so much more than that for myself and for my work. Um, you know, but on the other hand, I've benefited a lot from that label and people wanting to hear from me and my experiences, whether I've been tokenized or not, you know what I mean? So at least I have a box that I can climb out of rather than, you know, nothing at all or a grave. Mm. Mm. Thank you. I think that's, that's really helpful. And I, I think it's helpful to hear all of the, the surrounding um, grapplings with that. And I've also noticed that even when a, a platform has published you, like the Rumpus recently did a suite of four poems of yours that are incredible. And that's a, that's a despite the silly name, a very well-regarded literary journal, uh, online journal, you know, uh, the, incar the incarcerated aspect, you write about it. So you reclaim it, obviously, but it also is always there. And, and there's, uh, it seems to be that there is a sense that, that you stand in for a lot of voices that aren't aren't seen and heard as well. Um, is that something that you also feel a responsibility to or a burden from? Uh, if I can just throw a question in there off the record. Well, sure. on the record, off the script. I'm sorry. Say it again? 
I said, or off the record, on the record, off the script. I was just correcting myself. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. I'm not really sure if I'd say I feel I have a responsibility. Um, I think that my main responsibility as a writer and just as a person is to try to catalog my thoughts and my experiences to the best of my ability, whether I get creative with it or not. Um, so, I, I mean, to an extent, it's unavoidable. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I'm, I can't not write about the things that I'm going through. And even if I did, you know, somehow that would find a way to make itself into my work. You know what I mean? I, I've thought a lot about, like, my poetics and the kind of what I've been pursuing. And years ago, I was, I would still consider myself a love poet. Um, but I think years ago, I, I weighed a lot more heavily or the, the idea of being loveful weighed a lot more heavily on me. Um, and lately, I, it almost seems like I would, it's almost like a poetics of institutionalization. Um, and I, I say that not necessarily to be grim, but it's just, you know, it's just kind of my reality right now. So whatever I am writing about, I know that some aspects will come out, um, whether it be prison or my youth or the things that I've done. And that may be it's more or less unavoidable if I want to create, you know, what I would consider honest art. All right, thank you. I'm also noticing that, you know, I, we're a little bit closer to Q&A time than I realized. So I want to invite you to, I hope we have the time and you won't get cut off, to read your second poem uh, at this point. And this poem I, I also find to be incredibly haunting. Okay. Um, actually, before I do that, I should ask Sean, how long has this call been? Because I might need to call back if it's been too long. Oh, if I was smarter, Justin, I would have been timing it, but I didn't. Uh, it should show on the... Right? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're okay. right. It's right here on my cell phone. Give me one second, Justin. Okay. Uh, the call so far has been 10 minutes and 15 seconds. I think I got time then. Okay. All right. Go for uh, it. Okay. So the other poem that uh, Kate is referencing from the Temperature Check uh, series is titled American Quarantine Narrative. And I'll begin. I do not understand what this sentence means. I told my captors a decade ago. My words played on loop over and over through the door as I sat in my box. I received no answer as the world arrived in a state of sickness. I received no answer as the world clawed at the walls of an adjacent box. Some nights, I found comfort in the echoes burrowing through the concrete. A box, eight by ten feet, can do more than hold your body. I do not understand what this sentence means. I do not understand the loop began to alter itself. There were simple distortions. I do not, I do not stretch to ad infinitum. There were cuts in chaos. Sentence, sentence, sent, I do not. Low creeping base. Sleep no longer an option. I began to dig through the wall between the world and I. I never believed my captors would reward my obedience. A string of acts rigged with explosives. In a vision, I became very sick. My captors would be forced to feed me medicine, hook my lungs to a machine. Alas, I remained in decent health, though without enough water. A ruthless drip of days. I do not, I do not, I do not. And in my thirst, not this sentence, not, not, not what this means. Madness soon followed. My digging spoon dulled to a useless instrument. My fingers bled. On the 40th day, as the sun began its work, I broke through. I removed my eye, pressed it through the opening with my outstretched hand. In the adjacent box, I could see a television attached to a speaker, voices coming forth. What this means, sentence, sentence, what this means, I do not understand. On the television, ghosted streets and overflowing hospitals. The loop? Of course. I do not understand what this sentence means. I do not understand. I contorted my wrist, eye searching each corner of the adjacent box. The world was not there. My captors were not there. Thank you, Justin. Um, I, I wonder if we want to take a pause for you to call back now before we get cut off. What do you think? Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. That's cool. Okay, great. And Sean, um, I'm wondering too, should we do another question or should we open up for a Q&A from folks uh, logging in? 
We have another question for Justin. Justin, are you going to call back? Are we saying goodbye and check? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll hang up right now and I'll call you back right okay, away. Okay, I didn't mean to rush you. I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Um, I have another question for Justin. That sounds like you do too, Kate. I think we're, we're fine. You know, since going to this online um, model, we're going to be a little bit less, um, less regimented about the timing. So okay, great. Let's take another question. And I would love to hear another poem if, if we have time. Great. Um, I don't know if he has one with him where he is. I know he's calling from the prison phone, which is in a public area and may have required some bartering to make sure he got much, that much time on it. We'll have to ask him. I had two questions, and one was about news coverage in prisons, but I think I'm going to hold that one and, and, and direct people tomorrow to te check out Temperature Check, where we really go into that. And my, my final question is really about literature's role in this moment and getting Justin's uh, I think Justin's in on that. Justin, you're still here? Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you told me to wait, so I wasn't. <laughs> Sure, sorry, I, I'm going to call. Okay, I'm going to hang up now and I'll call back. <laughs> Perfect. All right, see you in a second. So he heard all my cool commentary and um, Yeah, he's a fantastic poet. I, I, he, he has a number of publications forthcoming from the manuscript he worked on to the fellowship. And I, for anybody interested, um, Justin does have, he might even plug it, he does have social media that somebody else runs for him, but... If you follow him and, and friend him there, you can follow along with the publications. And I highly recommend it uh, if you liked what you hear tonight because there are more that will be coming soon. That's great. You know, I, I don't know if this is gonna to be too much inside baseball for our audience, Kate, but uh, we ask a lot of the same questions that you ask of when, we, when you work with people who are incarcerated. Um, there is inevitably a power dynamic that um, you know, we talk about it. Oh, here's, here's Justin coming back. And there may not be anything to do about it, but, you know, we worked with um, 20 incarcerated artists for the Hidden Lives Project I was mentioning. Which is absolutely incredible. And I've been in touch with Erica. Oh, yeah. instructors. Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm familiar with the series. And it's, uh, everyone should watch it if they haven't. Uh, let me turn this down for one second. This goes on for a little while. Um, to accept this call for a zero. Sorry, I just let this go. Press zero. There you go. And it's subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GPS. Hey, Justin. Welcome back. Hey, uh, thank you. I just want to let you know, too, if, if you did want to hear another poem, I actually have the, other, the third one from the pandemic cycle. So if we have time or whatever, then we can figure that out. Perfect. That's my vote, but um, great. Kate, you're in charge. What, um, what, what's uh, is, you have other questions for Justin? Yeah. Well, let me ask this one question, Justin, and then maybe you can read the poem on the back end of answering it. How does that feel? Yeah, sure. I'll let you when I'm done. Yeah, and just let me know when it's done. Okay, great. So my last question, and I, I skipped one of the ones I originally planned because I, I actually want to stay in the realm of literature while we're chatting, and, and since we're sharing another poem. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on literature's role during this time of the pandemic, specifically as it relates to mass incarceration. So I'm thinking of the act of bearing witness, which is often how we frame it, but I'm also thinking of this really amazing remix prompt you created for Temperature Check that's in last week's issue that everyone can find online, and I hope you try it, uh, which involves this ritualistic destruction of a piece of someone else's literature and also in order to remix it into your own version. Um, so your offering is also about creative engagement, not only about bearing witness. And in some ways on that end, it's very intentional, right? In terms of how we create a connection between the walls, between artists and creators as equals in dialogue, uh, not just looking at people who are incarcerated and writers as experts of their own experience, but as also literary experts. So I'm curious for you to talk a little bit about literature's role at this time, through your perspective and, and about making this prompt. What, how, did you, um, how did you come up with this idea and what do you hope it might propel in others? Okay. Um, you know, with the literature thing, I mean, I really honestly think that literature's role right now should be the same role that it's always supposed to be. I mean, to help us connect and, you know, if necessary to help us recalibrate whatever it is that we're going through. You know what I mean? I think that, I mean, maybe right now we have possibly a unique opportunity because everybody's like at home, you know, 
self-quarantining and all that, uh, to slow down, maybe engage with literature in a more meaningful way. But other than that, I think literature is doing what it's always supposed to have done, I guess. I mean, I, I, would, I would at least hope so. And I hope that people are returning more to reading and kind of slowing down. Because if anything, this is an opportunity to slow down. I mean, aside from all of the chaos and everything happening, you know. Um, regarding the prompt, you know, it's really hard to create something out of thin air. Um, I mean, I'm sure every writer knows that unless you're, you know, a superhero and you just are able to just put out a bunch of really badass work all the time and not even have any difficulty. Um, but I think it's difficult, especially when there's a pressure like right now, because I know that a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, you have all the time in the world, you should be creating something, which, you know, okay, fine. But I don't know. I think the trick is kind of realizing that you don't have to create things out of thin air. You know, you have a lot of resources around you. You have all sorts of things. And I mean, at least prison, you know, books are, books are, I don't want to say gold, but you know, guys like to read a lot. Um, so when I was thinking about the prompt, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about like kind of clever things I could do that would, you know, cause people to see what it's like to be in prison and write from that perspective. And then I realized like, that's, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? Like they're different things. And on top of that, I felt like I didn't want to exploit the platform that I've been given in a way that like I didn't feel was right for me. Uh, so I decided to get kind of meta with it and say, okay, well, I would like to focus on just kind of developing something that, every, that can engage everybody and, and can, I don't want to say distract people, but in a way, I mean, it's, I think in these times it's kind of helpful to be able to read a book and kind of, immerse yourself in something other than the news cycle and all of these other things going on and and really just maybe, I don't want to use the term create something because I don't want to make it like a productivity thing, but just kind of interact with somebody else's work in a way that can create something anew. So the quarantine remix challenge, or what I called it, uh, I would say it's aimed at engagement. Um, and I want to try to transcend this whole idea of like pandemic art as a period piece and maybe just catalog the body as it processes another piece of art. You know, it remixes it. That's why you know the whole remix thing. I love that. And it also speaks so much, just the particular approach, the remix, the taking of samples, so to speak, uh, to, uh, to a big influence on your work, which is hip hop. And, and in fact, you call your manuscript a mixtape, right? So I'm just sharing that with audiences who might not know. I also want to apologize if you can hear a buzzing sound from my end. It seems my upstairs neighbor is vigorously vacuuming. So apologies to anybody listening in if that's really irritating. Um, Justin, let's hear that third poem in the series. Okay. Uh, you'll have to bear with me just a bit because it's actually a very rough, like it's all handwritten and got a bunch of scratches through it. But I'm going I'm to try to power through this because I think it'll work. Um, okay. uh, the poem is titled, A Poem That Listens to Griselda and remains stoic until it receives word of illness that it can do nothing but prostrate in a cage made by man. Who foolishly believed these days would not be normal, as if Jake Tapper could conjure a correctional facility that mirrors the living world, as if the gangs would cease to twist fingers and track the contraband in hand-to-hand exchanges? Your name is your number, is your name, is your number, is your name, is your... The body that birthed you, the God vessel that wove a knot of knees and breath, this body is now under eight blankets. This body aches. An unknown body has barged through one of the many doors left open by this body and now sieges this body as each nation begins to accept the body as a body in need of pretty cages. Body in need of containment, in need of distance, in need of new dialect and the many abstractions that roam the body and the empty streets when the body finds itself left alone with no other body to hold it. Rough translation, your body is in a cage, but not this poem or its institutionalized poetics. No, the body is no metaphor, but a caged animal. The body of bloom and breakfast, body of birth and bought forces, now houses an unknown ailment only weeks after a West Coast journey. This body once held you. This body will one day be held by the soil or the sky or the body of water once crossed. This body will fade into the world you once vandalized, as will your body and the others. But please, body, more time. Yeah. 
Next Thank you. <laughs> Sean, I think you said you had a question for Justin. Is that right? Before we... I did, but um, I actually would rather give some time to people who have weighed in on Facebook. And, Great. Uh, um, but I do have one, I guess, eventually. I think um, our co my coworker, uh, Jamie Martirana, is lurking in the background running the tech aspect of this. I think she might be able to come on and read some questions from Facebook or other social media. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining us. Hi. My thanks for having me. And Kate and Justin, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. So Katie on Facebook has a question. She would like to know, how does one become involved in the prison and justice writing program? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> uh, our program, as you might have heard, is that, uh, I'm not sure if that means from like a volunteer perspective or from a participant perspective, but from a participant perspective, if you want the handbook, write to us or have somebody else contact us at prisonwriting at penn.org. Uh, we send that for free, as mentioned earlier. Our mentor program actually is currently at capacity, and the way that people become eligible for it is by applying to uh, the Prison Writing Awards by sending work in. So penn.org backslash prison writing is where all the information on those efforts live and, and shares more about that. In terms of volunteerism, unfortunately, I hate to say it, we are totally saturated with people looking to volunteer at this time and just don't uh, have any open positions. We do have a wait list for mentorship. So if that's something that interests you and you're willing to wait uh, potentially for a year to be paired with somebody, we do pair mass pairing this once a year. Uh, you're welcome to email us and, and uh, obtain the application form. Um, but uh, part of the reason that we're servicing advocacy opportunities in these newsletters is because people do want to be involved. And uh, for our team of two, unfortunately, managing more uh, volunteers is not something that we currently have capacity for but stay in touch with us for sure, because that might change at some point. Great, thank you. Any other questions, Jamie? So it doesn't look like any other questions have rolled in on Facebook quite yet, but um, if I myself can ask a question, and this is for both Justin and Kate's, um, what does this collaboration between artists and poets on the inside and artists and poets on the outside, um, what does that mean to you both as artists yourselves? You wanna go first, Kate, or you wanna? Justin, you go first, I'll go, I'll go after you. You said, what is, this, what is the connection between artists inside as well as artists outside? What does that mean to me? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in short, a lot. Um, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting because you know, years ago, I wasn't really a writer or anything like that, but um, I started writing poetry and just really kind of writing from a perspective where I really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm creating something. I started doing that years ago when I was, um, I was in a writing workshop um, hosted by a, an organization called the Prison Creative Arts Project out of University of Michigan. Um, and that really propelled all of the things that I've done in the last few years, that along with... Um, like a partner that I had uh, throughout that time and just that level of like feeling like I was being heard and offering those kinds of those channels and those platforms and has it's literally changed my life I mean you know there's really no other way around that because when you're able to be heard you know a lot of things happen for you I guess and especially in here when you really feel like you're isolated all of the time um, it really can expand you in a way that you hadn't expected I think I've told Kate's once before that being in here sometimes is like um, being like one of those shrunken, those shrunken heads you see in, in, in like natural history museums um, because it's very easy to kind of allow, you know, a cage that's around you to, to shape who you are. And I mean, to an extent that's always going to happen, but having communication with artists and writers on the outside has really helped expand, at least for me, has helped expand, you know, my worldview and also just like let me know what the possibilities are. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's, that's changed my life um, in, in ways that I really can't even begin to explain. Yeah, thanks, Justin. I, I think for me, I started teaching as a teaching artist in prisons, and it, was, it changed my life in the course of my life, obviously, as you see where I am now. But it also, uh, the, the many barriers to shared humanity as an artist working with other artists were, you know, became very challenging for me. I couldn't take people's work out. I couldn't work on a piece with them. I couldn't 
uh, I couldn't be a collaborator. There was the power dynamic, Sean, that you were talking about a little bit before we sort of rerouted back to our original dialogue. And, uh, and that still exists. Certainly it's baked into the dynamic and you have to be aware of it and mitigate through it and figure out, you know, obviously I'm, I don't have the same kind of friendship with, with everyone I work with that I do with Justin. That's, that's another artist where our, uh, you know, we were able to forge that organically. Um, but I think providing opportunities for people to be in working relationship with other artists through the walls is really about how we, uh, how we, how we think about humanity that exists uh, behind those kind of scary hidden doors, right? The media portrays this way. And it's really about and, and important ethically for me to, um, to share my experience, which is that I've met brilliant, unbelievable artists behind the walls, just like I've met brilliant, unbelievable artists in any space in life. And, uh, and I think the collaboration goes a step further sometimes than, and not to the little prison arts programs, because I think they're very important and they were very formative for me as an educator as well. But I think there's something about the literary community and the artistic community getting involved in a different way. That's a different kind of commitment. It's not just, uh, again, like uh, I'm helping you out, but I'm in conversation with you. And, um, and so that's what the, the word collaboration really denotes to me is a, is a measure of coming with a, um, seeing each other as full humanity, saying, I value your talents and contributions and gifts. And in fact, I value them so much. I'm interested in working with them <laughs> personally. And so um, I, I'm not sure that captures everything I want to say. I'm distracted by the vigorous vacuuming. But I think it gives a little, at least a little taste about why personally for me as both an arts administrator and an artist, uh, where those worlds, uh, you know, uh, where those paths led and converged. We're just about to lose Justin. Justin, do you have, uh, are you able to call us back one more time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can. Okay. I'll, I'll hang up and call back right now. I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I will also, while Justin's calling back, share about an effort that we did last September that, that I'm quite proud of that kind of illustrates this dynamic that we're hoping to infuse into more literary community. We, we invited 30 reading series around New York City and a handful around the country. So people who have their, you know, weekly open mic nights or monthly open mic nights and often have a featured poet who's invited because of their skill and talent to share a little bit of a longer set. And we invited these people, these, these reading series communities who have built in audiences that return week after week or month after month uh, to feature the work of a currently incarcerated artist. What that meant was either we had on rare occasion a recorded set that they could play if they had the capacity over the microphone or more frequently a stand-in reader who would, who would volunteer to read the work and presence it on stage. And, and these lineups were important because there would be an incarcerated writer on a, on a lineup with other people who did not have justice involvement. So the intention was to shift the dynamic from always oh, come over to our prison writing literary event. If you're interested in mass incarceration, you'll come and really bringing voices out of that sort of confined space and into the already existent literary community to, to start playing with that vision and idea of equity. And it was incredible that so many people said, yes, it pulled off. And we had all these forms and functions for audience members to send feedback and photos and packets uh, back to the writers in prison to at least get a sense visually of what that night looked like and any promotional materials, et cetera. Um, so you also get a sense that the collaboration between the walls can also be quite laborious. So I think a lot of the reason that community is not forged more easily is the simple returning to what we started talking about in the beginning of our conversation, Sean, the simple logistics of just communicating through, uh, through prison, you know, barriers. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, we are running out of time and there was a comment that Justin made earlier that I would love to return to. I'd love to get your thoughts about this as well, Kate. Justin, early in this conversation, you, you said that you worried this would all go away and or that this the concern that people have right now for folks who are incarcerated might be at its peak and that when the health crisis passes that maybe uh, people will be forgotten again. I don't have a question. I want to just acknowledge um, just how much I've, I heard that and the people that we have worked with often say that people come in to the prison and they come to one meeting or two and they never see them again. Um, I have such respect for the work you're doing, Kate, because 
you didn't say this, but your, your kind of hesitancy to take on volunteers, I'm suspecting is because when you take people on, you really want to make sure they're going to be there for a while and be part of those, uh, part of these projects. And um, I don't really have a question, Justin. I just wanted to say that I, I, that really rang true to me. And I've been thinking about it in our work here that I like to think that we've been trying to bring the voices of people who are incarcerated or people who have experienced incarceration into our programs. But this is a real moment where we are all learning a lot about ourselves and how we're gonna behave at the far end of this and how, what kind of lessons we're gonna take from this. We're gonna learn a lot about ourselves and about our organizations. Um, and I hadn't heard anyone, none of the people I'm in touch with who are incarcerated have said that to me yet. That concern, is that a concern that you hear among other guys or is that something just in the back of your mind about this concern evaporating once the health concern goes away? Uh, to be honest with you, I feel like it's widespread. I mean, at least with the guys I've been speaking to. But to be honest, I mean, it would seem that that would be the general the general concern for a lot of guys in here. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say just guys, but a lot of people who are incarcerated. Um, because even on an interpersonal level, before all of this has happened, it's very easy in here for people to reach out to you after, you know, X amount of years or whatever, you know what I mean? Somebody might be having a bad day and they think of you and then they reach out, which is great. You know what I mean? We love to hear from people that we haven't heard from in years, especially if we feel isolated. Um, but sometimes that can become a catch 22 because I don't want to say people be, like who are incarcerated become pet projects, but in a lot of ways it, it, we've become used to being left behind and feeling like ghosts, you know, um, I was going through a, a tough, a tough uh, situation a few years ago, and I had talked to a, um, an ex of mine, and I, I asked, "What was, you know, what was it like when I left? You know, when I when I came you wrote a poem about that like experience, you, right? I did, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, it's actually, I'm a rumpet. Yeah. yeah, and uh, um, she told me she literally said, you know, it, it seemed like you died, but you were still alive, and mm -hmm. because everybody was talking about you as if you had like left and like gone away, and I could still talk to you, but it was as if you were. It was like I was a it was like a phantom, you know." Um, and I bring all that up because it's, you know, it, it can become, that comes, that, that happens a lot, you know, in institutions like this, um, with people who are incarcerated. So when you expand that to an institute, to a, you know, to a global level, I mean, especially with what's going on with this health crisis, it's almost as if, it's almost as if it seems inevitable that it's going to be the next thing. So I know a lot of guys personally who are right now like preparing, um, like legal stuff and, and petitions and things trying to get them out. Guys who are doing life sentences within 40 years who are saying, oh, look, I mean, this is like, this is their shot. You know, this is their shot to get out of the, out of, out of the joint. Um, so it's just a very, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a deeper, I think it's a deeper systemic issue and interpersonal issue than just what's happening right now. But what's happening right now is kind of calling all that to the forefront and kind of asking us, okay, who do we want to be? You know? Yeah. And I mean, that's, <laughs> that remains to be answered. Kate, if it works for you, I'm, I say that might, that might be the, the place to end our conversation. And if people want to hear more from Justin or hear more from you, can you tell us how they can hear from both of you moving forward on temperature check? Yes, for us, absolutely. Penn.org backslash works of justice is where you can follow along through the blog, or you can sign up to get a newsletter weekly into your mailbox uh, for the foreseeable future. We don't have an end date yet, but hopefully it won't go on for too long. Um, and, uh, and the rest of our, our program information can be found also on the Penn website, penn.org. Uh, so that's a good starting place for us. And Justin, uh, I did share that you had social media earlier that's, that's run by a friend, uh, which would, I assumed would be a good place for people to keep tabs on when you have publications, but I'll also let you share for yourself, uh, uh what you prefer. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you pretty much covered, I, I have... I'm a pretty solid, I have a good couple people that have been helping me kind of reach out uh, through those channels. I'm not exactly sure how everything works with them, but um, it's been going pretty well thus far from what I've heard. So um, for anybody who wants to you know, get on that, it'd be uh, at J uh, Rovios, R-O-V-I-L-L-O-S, Monson, M-O-N-S-O-N. So at J Rovios Monson. And, uh, yeah, and I'd, love to, I'd love to hear that. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Kate Meissner um, and Justin Revios Monson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank, thank you. you both so much. Uh, I want to put thank in a you. quick plug it. for next week. Um, 
just to be hang on a minute maybe we can chat for just a minute or two after we're off i got to do a quick plug though for next week um next week we uh the topic is uh covid 19's impact on incarcerated youth uh we have a, a round table that will be moderated by liz ryan from the youth first initiative more friends that we've met through our network at the art for justice fund and i should just put out a, a quick thank you to them art for justice has been very generous to us administered by the ford foundation and it's how we met Kate's since how yes. we met Brian and they've been wonderful, wonderful supporters of all this work. Um, I want to thank Jamie um, uh, Martirana and Erica Harmon from our team and Annie Anderson and Damon McCool who write wonderful research papers uh, for us to keep, for our leadership team to keep uh, up to date what's happening with COVID-19's impact on people who are incarcerated and our entire wonderful staff. I'm Sean Kelly from Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Site. Uh, on behalf of our director, our CEO, Sally Elk. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And I have one final little slate here to show you how to keep in touch with us. If you're interested in any of our programs, that's how to reach us. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Justin. Thank you.